Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. I want my land. All you've got to do now is pass the Australian culture test. Three simple questions, three correct answers, and you go through that doorway to the greatest little country in the world. Good morning, listeners. This is Annie with uh, Showreel, uh, 3CR's look at the Australian film industry. And last night I had the great pleasure of going off and seeing a great film, Lady Macbeth. And in the studio we've got the cinematographer, Ari Wigner. How are you, Ari? I'm great, thanks, Annie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, there's a couple of reasons why we've got you here. One, because it's quite extraordinary. Uh, It's an unusual thing still to have a female cinematographer. We've got one who's from Melbourne and this is an internationally acclaimed film, Lady Macbeth. Yeah, we've uh, we've been so happy with the film's reception so far. It's uh, had a really great reception at Toronto and then uh, kind of really blitzed the festival run up into Sundance uh, earlier this year. Um, and, yeah, we've, we've been blown away by how much everyone's loved it it's it's always nice uh with any film to uh have a positive reception but with something like this we really did have a very small uh, modest budget especially for a period film it was uh under five hundred thousand pounds which is uh really yeah that's really about, small yeah about six hundred thousand uh u.s dollars uh which is kind uh, of almost australian in its context yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly not a generous budget for something that was pretty uh, ambitious, I guess, as, uh, as uh, without giving too many uh, things away. There's some, I guess you could say, stunt scenes, some animals, uh, a bit of, uh, um, yeah, violence and chaos. <laughs> and uh, in when you're on a low budget, uh, one thing you can't do is obviously just kind of shoot anywhere you want. It's Every, every frame's got to be quiet. Um, considered yeah, to, to fit in the period, 1860. Yeah, 1860. And uh, for people who want to know, it's a it's a very chilling little uh, number. Uh, it's based on a Russian novella, uh, Lady Macbeth in, I can't even, I can't remember the, it's it, it, it's the idea of Lady Macbeth as a Shakespearean character uh, transferred to a Russian uh, big house. And uh, this woman uh, basically is a bit of a Lady Macbeth, and <laughs> it's a quite fantastic uh, uh, romp, basically. I, I, rem- I stood up and I said, well, that was a 19th century pot boiler, if nothing <laughs> else, and it, it is fantastic. It was a kind of Stephen King a la 19th century, fantastic stuff, beautifully shot. You did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, uh, and as you said, the challenges, uh, you had to be very... Uh, 
uh, careful about how much you were shooting, right? Yeah, well, um, with a small budget also comes a short shooting period. So we had 24 days, which is, again, uh, might seem like a lot, but actually when you are getting down to it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, leave a lot of time to be generous. So we did a lot of very clear preparation to make sure we were going to um, make the most of every minute we had. Um, and as uh, you might see if you go to see the film, uh, compared to probably most films, there's not a huge amount of coverage. There's not a huge amount of shots. So um, our approach was that we wanted uh, we wanted shots to be really considered, kind of like painting. So each that each shot uh, we would we knew we were going to linger on it in the edit. So what we didn't have in time, we we kind of made up for the for the fact that we we didn't have a huge amount of shots planned. So every single shot could be. Uh, as perfected as, as best we could. Yeah, that's really interesting because the pacing of the film is so fantastic. It's a lulp rather than a rush. And there is a shot in there that is actually a Vermeer painting where she's standing at, it, it is literally like that uh, picture of the woman standing next to the harpsichord in a Vermeer painting. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a few people have said that actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think as well because of the period... Uh, uh, 1860, obviously, there's no electricity. Um, I think it was about that time people were starting to have uh, gas lighting, but we chose to um, to not do that. It's all uh, either daylight, the feeling of daylight, or f- or fire, or candlelight, um, lamps, lanterns, that kind of that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, that uh, that feeling in combination with the the European kind of aesthetic. Um, I think uh, gives that feeling of Vermeer. Or there's a, another Danish artist, um, Willem Hammershoy, who uh, was a big a big reference for us. It's a he had a very minimalist aesthetic, which we um, brought over to our um, our film. What we didn't uh, want was for it to feel too kind of luxurious. I guess it's a big house, but there's there's nothing really about it that that that's that comforting. Um, we wanted to feel like it was a place that no woman had kind of been for a long time. It was very much a man's world, so there's no tapestries or rugs, carpets. There's nothing kind of uh, warm about this mansion that she finds herself trapped in. Um, and that's something that, that Hammershoy did really well, this minimalist kind of aesthetic. Which is exactly the truth, really. In In those days, you would have had key pieces of furniture that you would have expended a fair amount of money on in order to fill the spaces. And that comes across really well. Also, the sounds that you use, the shutters, the wooden shutters, everything about it so abrupt. The um, uh, You're from Melbourne, so obviously getting a gig in Europe like this is... How did that happen? Um, well, I uh, for a few years I'd had a, an agent in the in the UK... Um, and, uh, I guess when you're making a film as a director and a producer team, you kind of, you're on the lookout for good talent. Yeah. Good talent. And, uh, our, uh, our agents connected us basically. (laughs) I wish it was a more romantic story, but, uh, that was, uh, that's how it came about. And then, um, but it is a kind of, uh, there's still a bit of a alchemy matchmaking that needs to happen between, uh, any head of department, including the cinematographer and the director, where you 
Uh, we did it by by Skype because uh, Will, the director, was in the UK at the time I was in Melbourne. Um, so we had a Skype meeting, first date, um, and just chatted about what we're into, what we our thoughts on the film, and we really instantly it was a very instant kind of chemistry. We really clicked. Um, so you received the script. You were then you started to formulate notions visually. Exactly. I got the script and uh, I read it. I loved it. Um, and had a chat with Will on the phone, and then I, I put together a, a bunch of images that uh, I thought um, things that kind of came to mind, which I sent sent to him, and then uh, that may or may, have, may or may not have sealed the deal. I'm not sure, but I think uh, it was a really brilliant collaboration. We really uh, hit it off, and I think that's so important when you're working on a film, which is not. You know, it's not always easy. There's, there's, you know, going into this relationship, there's going to be challenging times. There's going to be fun, times where it's really fun, and other times where it's, uh, it's a really tricky situation. So, yeah, it, uh, actually, it's quite brilliant in the film. It obviously it comes across in the film because it's, it's actually quite, it's a poet, a piece of poetry. This film. Yeah, it's quite. Uh, it is quite lyrical, and there is a real kind of pace to it. And yeah. I want to um, credit as well uh, Nick Emerson, who's our editor. The three of us, myself, Will, and, and Nick, really formed a really tight uh, partnership. And actually, um, it was great that in that uh, in the house where we were shooting was also where our uh, production was based. So we had uh, Nick was just downstairs when we were shooting. And we would go and uh, spend time with him at lunchtime and, and after we'd wrapped as well to watch what we'd been shooting and, and talk about what we had coming up. And it was a really, uh, it was a real, in a way, luxury to have that because it's, it's not often you have that editor right there, especially for a cinematographer. They're, they're no, usually, it's uh, usually quite separate, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, either they're on email or they might occasionally drop in for lunch one day, but that's, uh, that's usually the extent of it. Is that something that happens because of modern equipment now? Is that the bonus from modern equipment? Yeah. Uh, to, you mean to be able to be on set? Yeah, uh, but also, I mean, in the past, mm. uh, what would happen is they'd shoot it. Uh, they call them dailies, but we used to call them rushes. Yeah. And then they, which I think is much finer, yeah. rushes. <laughs> I still say rushes. I like rushes. <laughs> I like rushes. And they'd, you know, and then people would, and they'd be developed and then they'd bring them in and everybody sit there and look at them. And... Uh, and that was good because people were getting an idea of what it was, but at nothing like uh, what would then have to be hammered out in the editing suite, which was happened, you know, sort of like maybe a month, a week later or whatever, you know what I mean? It's not, it didn't happen in parallel. No, yeah, I think, um, I feel like the the dailies or rushes screenings kind of unfortunately kind of gone out of fashion a bit because everybody on set has such clear uh, had such a clear view of what you're shooting on digital usually if you've got monitors uh anyone that needs to see can can have a look whereas back in the day uh you know you wouldn't it wouldn't be available to everyone to start with and then uh the image you could see was very low quality it wouldn't be enough to show focus or all that yeah. kind of stuff um so it is a bonus uh, the modern technology definitely allows you to maybe it takes the anxiety kind of uh, the the anxiety of waiting maybe forty eight hours or, or twenty four hours to know whether what you shot is usable definitely technical on a technical sense um, 
But yeah, I think on on this particular project, the luxury we had was that because we were almost 95% in this one house, um, it meant that Nick could set up his edit suite and and, uh, he was just there the whole time, whereas probably on other shoots, uh, it's pretty rare that you're just in one location, you'd be moving around, which wouldn't really be practical for the poor editors to kind of up and moving every couple of days. Um, now, so, in, t- yeah. in terms of the sh- the shooting, what you're shooting, uh, the tonality of the uh, film is really uh, quite clear and it's part of the poetry of the film, including the different colours of her clothing, which if you go and see it, which I encourage people to do because you will enjoy it, mm. is really stunning. Uh, I mean, I know that, uh, like, I went and saw Madame Bovary, the last version of it, and having read the book as well as, and there is some interesting crossovers because both of these stories were written in a similar period, okay? So that's interesting in itself. One's French, one's Russian, based on a sort of... But in that Madame Bovary film, one of the things that really was beautiful but really irritating was the amount of time they spent on the clothing. And I don't know if you've seen it. And that was really quite amazing, but it was really irritating because it took away from the actual depth of the story, as in my view. While in this film, Lady Macbeth, it's very strategic and doesn't flood the, the story. So obviously that was the uh, people who did the set dressing and the costumer were also intricate, uh, absolutely important to the maintenance of the poetry in this film. Yeah, absolutely. The I mean, the, when you kind of strip away a lot of the, uh, you know, what you would usually have in a British period drama of this kind of uh, opulent, kind of uh, a lot of everything, uh, what you're... What you do choose to put in obviously takes on a, a bigger significance because it really stands out. And with uh, the wardrobe um, was really, you know, I have to credit those guys for really going above and beyond because uh, Holly Waddington, who's the uh, costume designer, really uh, went, you know, all, all in. The the dresses that you see in the film are they're actually antique, uh, you know, real dresses from the time which they went to. I think they went over to Paris and uh, there's a, you know, and supposedly it with the museum. Uh, well, you, there's there's warehouses there, I guess, where you can, I guess, hire rent uh, probably for shoots and and whatever you want, you know. Wow. And that I'm have impressed. been preserved. Yeah, I mean, we had to be very careful with yeah. them. Um, but they all the ones you see were from uh from the actual from the actual time and then the other costumes from uh the ones that you see everyone else wearing a lot of them they made by hand using the same methods they would have used then sti- hand stitching and hand kind of they were they were really meticulous and i think it it really shows um, yeah it does i love uh i love seeing period films where you really feel like the the clothing is is of a period it's not it's got a real organicness to it, isn't perfect. It's not... Uh, you know. I, I, but I also like the fact that in this particular film, the clothing isn't more important than the action or the people. For sure, yeah. It, yeah. Um, it's, uh, I love that as well. When, when every department's one part of a big whole, it makes... Yeah, you, you're not pulled out as an audience member. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it's really fascinating. Um, just to remind listeners, you're on uh, Showreel on 3CR and we're talking to the cinematographer late for Lady Macbeth, which is going to start at the Nova on the 29th of June. It's a great film. And uh, we're talking to Ari Wegner, who was the uh, person who shot it. And she's from Melbourne. But um, I should remind you about the Radiothon that's coming up. Exploit the earth until the very end That's how it happens when controls the death and really Thanks for the yarn today too, Deadly. Keep up the amazing work that you do with your music. Thank you, Natalie Rice. Thank you so much. And big up Community Radio 3CR, all the work you guys do, giving a voice to the people. We love that. Respect. Radiothon 2017, 3CR, Radio for Change. And Showreel's Radiothon Day is uh, June the 15th, next Thursday. And uh, we're going to be talking to the people from the Refugee Ra- uh, Re- Refugee Film Festival on that day to remind you not only how important that is, but also how important 3CR and Showreel is as well. So get your pennies together and uh, give us a call and make sure that we remain on air for next year. Ari, who is the cinematographer for Lady Macbeth, which is going to be on at Nova on the 29th of June, a great film. You're from Melbourne. How did you get to become a cinematographer? Uh, Well, I had always been interested in photography from a young age and uh, interested in writing as well. Um, And I think when I look back, actually, those two things kind of... uh, are on two trajectories heading towards cinematography. It is uh, a medium that's very visual, but it is also about storytelling, and those two things can't really be separated, I think, for good cinematography. So so you've got to make links. Yeah, you've got to be telling a story visually. Um, and so I, I, um, I went to VCA, and I ended up doing a specialisation in cinematography in the last year there, it, probably became pretty clear to me in the first, uh, even the first few months of film school that camera is where I was really drawn to. And uh, But there's a technical aspect to this as well. Absolutely, yeah. And that's kind of what I love about it. It's, it's a real mix of technical and creative and they really do work in tandem and you kind of have to uh, start, uh, you know, you have to master... Not that I'm, a, we could claim it be at that stage at this point, but you have to master the the technical side of it and the creative side of it to uh, to really achieve what you're what you're trying to. And it's very, it's a, I don't know, I love it. It's a it's a really complex job, I guess, in that it it involves a lot of different things, uh, probably even a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily think of to start with. At a certain level, a lot of it even just becomes the the relationships that you form with either different directors or crew and then kind of you're, you're in a real leadership position at a certain point where people are looking to you for guidance, leadership, um, you know, understanding or they've got something they need to talk about or even just the technical things. It's, it's a really... Um, they have to hold you in respect. 
Totally. Yeah. Hold you in respect, but also support you. It's a really, it's a role that it can't be done in a vacuum. There's so many people that are behind uh, me and around me that allow me to do my job and to look, you know, look great. But the there's hundreds and hundreds of people really, when I think back over my, all the, you know, projects I've done that are all those late nights and early mornings and crazy hills and rain and ridiculous things that it certainly wasn't just me there so no well that's interesting isn't it because you're pretty unassuming a, a bit when you say that you're not an expert and that probably means one of the reasons for why you're going to continue you know becoming better and better because uh, you've actually done a lot of films yeah I've get, I've done I've done quite a few films but one of the things I do love about cinematography the idea of cinematography is that you you're never going to stop learning that I, I would like to think that when I eventually retire, I'm I'm still kind of finding things that are exciting, finding things that I'm learning, and there's almost never never two days that are the same, never two situations or projects where you can kind of be like, oh, yeah, been there, done that, like template mm. approach. It's everything's constantly changing, and I love that. Yeah, well, well, it was interesting because I spoke to a Kate Shortland about uh, Berlin Syndrome and she said something I thought was really interesting, which was uh, that she and her camera person, uh, ha- he had an experience, uh, quite a lot of experience in uh, documentary filmmaking. And so that translates, some of the elements that he had learnt in that were perfect for the t- storytelling in uh, Berlin Syndrome. And I, I thought that was really interesting because uh, there's these crossovers in ways that you can deal with the challenge that you're... Uh, you've done quite a lot of different sorts of... Do you find this? I know that sounds like a, a mishmash of a question. Yeah, no, no, I, I definitely agree. Everything kind of informs everything else. And, uh, yeah, it's it's really a role where you you are constantly learning and even the stuff that, you know... You might see something in a painting or something as you're driving home one night from dinner that you see something and it you it just an image sticks in your head or an idea kind of crystallizes that you hadn't quite been able to kind of totally figure out all of a sudden or you'll be going for a run and you see something you're like, Ah, oh, that yes, that that makes all of a sudden something kind of comes to you. Um but yeah, every job you every job you do really um, kind of, I guess, forms part of a knowledge bank that at any point you can draw on. Draw on, yeah. Uh, because uh, anybody who's taken photographs, uh, you know, they see something fantastic. Then they take a photograph of it and it's so underwhelming that it's nothing like the experience of actually. And when you're a cinematographer, you actually do that. You make what it is that a person felt when they saw something remain there to be felt that's what you're doing isn't it yeah I've got to kind of capture a moment capture a feeling and also uh move the story forward because uh I guess that's where sometimes photography and cinematography kind of part ways is that as a cinematographer you really your your reason to be there is not purely to create a beautiful image you have to be uh doing it for a real reason, which is to tell this story or for whatever the moment that you're doing is is uh, necessary. For example, in Lady Macbeth, going into it, I knew um, 
from a visual point of view or from a story and visual point of view that Catherine, our lead character, she, we we knew going in as the filmmakers that she was she was going to eventually do some kind of morally questionable things, and it was important for us that before she started to do those things that we really connected with her, that we kind of you know almost fell in love with her as a character, and that we're on her side. Um, so. The question is, visually, how do you make a beautiful image and achieve what you need to achieve with the story? And with that in mind, um, you know, in the back of our mind, knowing that at, by a certain point in the story, we really need people to have made this emotional connection with her. And my job as a cinematographer would be how to do that visually. So uh, if you go see the film, you'll see quite often the camera, we are always at her eye height for the most part. So you feel like you're really at at seeing the world as she, as she sees it, you're looking at her straight in the eye. Often she's in the centre of a frame, so she's really, she's the one you're focusing on. Um, the first uh, portion of the film, it's, the frames are very rigid um, and we, we really wanted to create the sense that she's she's locked in this in this kind of trap, in this prison, this house that she's not allowed out of, so... Um, it worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the frames are quite uh, they're quite oppressive. They're really uh, you you feel for her because she can't uh, she can't she can't move. She's really trapped. She's trapped in this. Even in the dress that she wears, she's really uh, she can't she can't move freely. Um, so yeah, in the coverage, we we really wanted that and these kind of repeating frames, which underline the the monotony and the, and the repetitive nature of her life, where she. She gets up, she does not a lot, and then she goes back to bed and she gets up and, and so on. So um, that's just one example of how uh, the kind of things that I'm, I'm thinking about when, when I'm going into a film, um, aside from how to make it look beautiful, some of the things are quite subtle, I guess. It's, it's kind of like you'd hope that people don't consciously even notice it. It's a lot more subconscious that, that at a certain point in the film you just happen to be feeling really attached to this person and then when they start doing things that are a bit questionable, you feel really torn because you're like, I really, yeah, I, really yeah. I was on her side and now I don't know how to feel because I, ugh, it's, it's yeah, a weird yeah, no, feeling. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually quite really compelling, isn't it? Uh, because the, uh, yeah, well, without, you don't want to give it away because no. in actual fact that the, the first instance of rebellion, you're actually on her side. Absolutely, yeah. Which is, you know. Pretty devious in itself. So, yes. in terms of the storytelling and the and the way the film is constructed, the the original story uh, was very clever in uh, uh, placing the reader or the viewer on the ride in a way that uh, they may have felt quite uncomfortable about, which is fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I'm uh, so glad you came in to tell us about this. And we've got to remind people to go and see Lady Macbeth because it's fantastic. It's opening at Nova on the 29th of June. Thank you very much for coming in, Ari. And only great success. Thank you so much for having me. And, yes, please uh, do check out the film and uh, hope you enjoy it. And we're going to go out with All This Could Be Yours, panel of judges. And uh, coming up next is Published or Not. Where do you stand? 
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.